Yitzhak had survived a concentration camp during World War II. He was Jewish and just a teenager. When he got out, he managed to get passage to the United States. He came to the United States, and there he managed to go to school, ultimately graduating from college, and he became a research physicist, an amazing guy. He wound up getting married along the way, had several children. Yitzhak lived a good life here in the United States. But then in his early 60s, he got cancer. He had surgery, and then in the end, he had his treatments, but he wanted to make sure that his mind was in the right place in order to fight this disease. So he decided to go to a, a cancer wellness center. And the one that he happened to choose was run by Rachel Rimmon. You'll remember Rachel Rimmon. She came to speak here at St. Luke's years ago. What a wonderful lady. And Rachel said when Yitzhak came, we immediately began to hug him, to touch him, to encourage him, to love on him. They wanted to make sure to break down the walls between strangers so people could be focused on the healing. But Yitzhak was very uncomfortable with all that. She loved Yitzhak because he spoke with a nice Slavic accent, just like her mom and dad did from the old country. And it was Yitzhak who came to her and said, Rachel, what is all this? What is this huggy-huggy? What is this, love the stranger? What is this? And Rachel said she and the staff just kind of laughed. And they kept hoping he would warm up. And sure enough, the next day he started letting them hug him a little more and he would hug them. He started to kind of open up some. But that was difficult for Yitzhak. Then on the fourth day, he had a very emotional experience. As a part of the treatment each day, they would have time for prayer, meditation, sitting quietly to listen. And Yitzhak was sitting there when he began to see this bright light in his eyes. It was a pink, a purple. It was so vibrant. And he later would say he started feeling totally enveloped in this color and it felt so warm. He described it as like being inside of a rose which was kind of interesting since his name translated means Little Rose. But what really seemed to bother him was the light was emanating from his heart. It was coming out and he felt he literally was hemorrhaging from his heart. He did not understand it. And he was asking Rachel and the others, what does this mean? Rachel said, we had our own ideas, but we didn't want to explain that to him. That was for Yitzhak to figure out on his own. And it bothered him very much. It had frightened him. Because you see, Yitzhak, well, he had lived a life of very closed feelings. He had never opened his heart to many people, his wife, his children. But that was about it. He kept everybody else at a distance. He kept everybody else, whether it was friends or strangers, having lived through those concentration camps with all the strangers all the pain, all the suffering. He wanted to keep people at a distance. This was all kind of a new thing. Well, they went to the fifth day, the sixth day, and finally the seventh day. It was the end of the retreat. And Rachel wanted to make sure that everybody was doing okay and wanted to look up Yitzhak and came and said, Yitzhak, how are you doing? 
And he explained to her that he was doing well, much better. The day before, he had gone for a walk on the beach. And he said, as he had a walk on the beach, God spoke to him some comforting words. And Rachel said, really? Well, Yitzhak, what did God have to say to you? And he smiled and said, well, I said to God, God, is it okay to luff the stranger? And God said, Yitzhak, vat the stranger. You make stranger. I don't make stranger. God doesn't make strangers. We make strangers. Everybody God makes, He knows. And He loves. And they are special in His sight. God doesn't make strangers. We make strangers. And when we make strangers, it is easy to fail to show compassion, to be kind. And when you and I will choose to be kind to the stranger, you honor God, you will bless life, and you will bless your own heart. It's how you find a sense of joy and meaning when you decide to be kind to the stranger. You know, I think this is one of those things that St. Luke's does so well through our after-school ministries, our programs. We have three that we support here at St. Luke's. 350 to 400 young people each week are being blessed by your kindness. There are so many of you who give your time, you give your talents, you give your money, and you bless these strangers, these kids that we have not known, that we've decided to reach out and touch as a part of the family. It was just a little over a year ago, we decided to go to Rancho Village Elementary School right next to Asbury, our Asbury campus. And now we mentor third graders, boys, girls. We help them learn soccer and created a soccer team. We wind up having after-school ministry. We're now in our third year of El Sistema. El Sistema has 220 kids who wind up coming each day. We rent the space at Trinity Baptist Church. We don't have enough space for that many kids. We rent the space. We give them brand new instruments and you feed them, you love on them. And it's not just they're learning how to play an instrument, it's changing the way they do school, the way they do their homework, the way they relate as families. It's changing their world. The oldest after-school minister we have is Studio 222, 12 years old now, meets here at our campus. It started with junior high and now is spread to senior high as well. Last year, Studio, it's an art-based program, was invited to make a, um, a scarecrow down at the Myriad Gardens for Pumpkinville during this time of year. And you may remember last year they created Rumble, the mascot for the Oklahoma City Thunder. They did such a great job, and it was so neat. Well, they were invited to come do something this year. And this year, Julie Robinson, the director, sat down with the kids and said, how could we create more kindness among us? How could we create more kindness in Oklahoma City? And so they decided to build a kindness tree to put down in Myriad Gardens for Pumpkinville. 
So they built this tree, and then they had all these ribbons hanging off of it like leaves. And the kids dreamed up, what are different random acts of kindness that you could write on those ribbons so that anybody can come to Pumpkinville and pull off a ribbon, and it tells them, here's a random act of kindness to go do. Now, you don't have to do that one. If you go do another one, it's fine. They said, just do one and post it on social media. Well, after the kids had dreamed up this idea and built the tree and had the leaves and all these things, the kids said, nobody's going to do this. I mean, people aren't going to go do random acts of kindness to strangers. And then the more they talked about it, they said, well, maybe nobody other than the people at St. Luke's, at least they were getting it, they had been the strangers. They had been the ones we did not know whom we reached out to love, to bring them in to know their name in a family of faith. But they thought, would people really do this? Well, because they'd been talking about it, Julie said one day a couple of the girls went to the zoo. And when they got to the zoo, they saw a mother coming along with a stroller and a couple of kids. And because they'd been talking so much about this, they ran ahead to go open the door and help this mother get in. It is something that was very simple to do, but they would not have done it had they not been talking about this. And they went and they did it, and they helped the mother in, and the mother really expressed her appreciation so much to them. And they came back to Julie to say, that was so great. It really was so neat to help a person who was a stranger. What they discovered was, it's fun to be nice especially to a stranger. This morning, I want to continue this sermon series. It's fun to be nice. I've been saying that you and I are living in an interesting time right now in our world. A world where when you watch TV, you watch these crazy reality shows, you know, you see people who are so rude. People who are so critical. People are so condescending and cutting and you listen to the political debates and you listen to our candidates and they can be so rude and so harsh with each other. And sometimes in our world I think that you and I find ourselves becoming more critical, more harsh. It's easy to become rude and and cutting because that's what we see all around us And it almost becomes a way of defense, something you do to protect your own heart. But we as people of faith know there's a better way, a different way. Because as people of faith, we have been called to love your neighbor as you love yourself. We have been told, show hospitality to the stranger. For when you do, you discover it's fun to be nice. It's what our scripture lesson was about this morning when we have this writer writing to the Hebrews. The writer to the Hebrews says to them, reminding them 2,000 years ago, let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Now most scholars say what that is referring to goes back to Genesis, the book of Genesis, the 18th chapter. The story is about Abraham and Sarah. 
It was Abraham and Sarah who were now almost a hundred years old. They had wanted to have a baby. All their life they'd prayed to have a child. Didn't happen. And now they were camped under some oak trees in their tent. They had their servants and their sheep, their cattle. And along came three strangers. And when Abraham sees the strangers, he goes to Sarah and says, Go ahead and fix up some bread, some food to eat. He goes to a servant, Kill a calf and fix us something to eat. He goes to the strangers and says, Turn aside and come in, rest a while. Gets them something to drink. He shows incredible hospitality to the strangers. What he doesn't know is, these are three angels. They are the representatives of the Lord. In later paintings down through the centuries, these three angels were painted to be said they were Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The idea that what you see in these angels is the very essence, the very nature, the presence of God. What Abraham didn't know was he was actually entertaining angels. He was showing hospitality to God. And as always happens, what he didn't realize was they had a message for him. When you show kindness and you show love, oh, they brought him a message. And the message was, you're going to have a baby. Now Sarah was in the tent listening and she heard it and she laughed, right, I'm almost a hundred I'm not sure it was a laugh of, oh, that's not possible, or oh, God, please don't let that happen. But she laughs. And the angel said, you wait and see. And by that time next year, they had a little baby boy, Isaac. No, something that would give their life meaning and joy. When you show kindness to the stranger, you not only bless life, you will discover meaning and joy in your life. So why don't we do it? You know, I, I don't know about you, but I, working on this sermon series, I, I've just started really paying attention to some things. And I, one of the things I've noticed is it's easy for me to go through a whole day and I can do a lot of nice things for staff, for family, for friends, but I can go through a whole day and never do something kind for a stranger. I don't know whether it's I'm not interacting with them or I'm just not seeing them. It's easy to go through a day and not do something kind for a stranger. And yet that's exactly what we are called to do as people of faith. What would help us? I want to have three simple questions. First of all, do you treat the stranger the way you would treat a friend? Do you treat the stranger the way you'd treat a friend? When I got out of seminary, I was appointed to start a church in southwest Houston. Marsh and I were excited to be back in Houston where we'd been raised. We'd moved out of that part of town. But, I mean, we were out there kind of on the cutting edge. We went back recently, and we lived right off Highway 6. And Highway 6 now has six lanes, three each way and a center turn lane, and it's packed. When we were there, it was Tulane. And it was packed. And I just got to tell you, I, I really hate that traffic. I remember so much coming down I-10, getting off to get on Highway 6. Four lanes would immediately go to two. And so often it was backed up. And then they started working on it to widen it. 
30 years ago. 30 years ago, I remember very well. I'd gotten off I-10. I was going to go home. I was in a hurry. I was running late. And the traffic started backing up. And as you're sitting there, you know, I'm pretty good about queuing up like you're supposed to. And I'm sitting there and people start zipping down the side. Zipping down so they can cut in front of you and get in line and head on out. I just got to confess, I don't like that. I really don't like it. When I've queued up and I'm playing by the rules and everybody else is zipping along to cut in front, I'm almost always in a hurry. And I'm always looking at these other people thinking, you're in more of a hurry than me? Zipping down, zipping down. I remember one day I got off and I got in line and these cars were coming around and coming around and I finally thought, no more. No more. And I was determined that day no one was going to cut in front of me. And so I got right on the tail of the guy in front of me. And we inched along and inched along. And he said the cars had zipped in front and zipped. And finally this one car came down and there was nowhere else to go. And he was now coming to get in front of me. I knew we had a game of chicken. (laughs) And I was going to win. That day, I knew I would win. No backing down. I got right on the car. I looked straight ahead. We inched along. He kept coming over closer and closer and closer. It's fine. I'm going to win. I'm not backing down today. And I stayed right there. And he came over more and more and more. I mean, we finally got to the point you couldn't fit a piece of paper between the bumpers and the car in front of me and a piece of paper on the car on side of me. And I knew the next time we move forward, we we're going to hit each other. Fine with me. <laughs> I was holding my ground. I was queued up. I was staying right there. But finally, we were so close, I just finally looked over to glare at this guy just at the moment he looked over to glare at me, and what I saw was the chairman of the board of my trustees. I can't tell you how surprised I was to see him. But no more surprised than him looking over to see his pastor. The next thing that happened was Suddenly we're both trying to get the other person to go ahead. Oh, please go ahead of me. I won that one. I wasn't moving until he went in front of me. He finally cut in and we headed down the road. I need you to know that he and I never spoke about that experience. That's 30 years ago. I can remember it like it was yesterday. And there are those times when I'm sitting in line and I am struggling with these moments and the question that will come to my mind is, how would you treat that person? How would you treat the stranger if they were a friend? It changes the way you act and what you do. Two, what's the right 
thing to do? When you're confronted in those moments with a stranger, what's the right thing to do? I believe in your heart, you know. The reason that you and I come to worship is so that we recenter ourselves in Christ and it gives us perspective. The reason we encourage you to read a daily devotional every day, to go online, we have wonderful devotionals online every day to take a moment to read and pray so that in the middle of the week you center yourself and you remember your values, you see your priorities, you recenter yourself in Christ. For when we walk close with Christ, you know what to do. Your heart helps you know what to do. You know the right thing. You know, I was enjoying watching football yesterday and one week makes a big difference. <laughs> you know, I, I, I really felt bad for K-State yesterday. Um, they just really happened to catch OU on a bad day after last week. And there was a point to be made and boy, it was made. And the reason that I hated to see that was because Bill Snyder, Coach Snyder, just such a nice guy. I, I was happy that OU won, but I was sad to, uh, that we just poured it on Bill Snyder because he is such a good man and a man of faith and a man who is so kind. He's been at K-State for 24 years. He's the winningest coach in their history. You remember just a couple weeks ago, there was another exciting game with Oklahoma State University. And man, that was a game back and forth and back and forth and Finally, Ben Grogan comes out, the, the kicker, and he kicks a field goal in the last few seconds, and OSU wins and beats K-State. It was an incredible game. Man, I, I was standing on cheering on that one. That one was exciting. I don't know if some of you saw the story that came out this week that Ben Grogan got a note from Bill Snyder. It was handwritten. It said, Congratulations, Ben. I admire the courage you displayed in hitting the game-winning field goal. That took great focus and discipline on your part. Wishing you continued success, Coach Snyder. Now why in the world would the opposing coach congratulate the kid who kicked the field goal that beat you? Well, it's because Coach Snyder has perspective. He knows what's the right thing to do. His job is not just to win football games. He understands it's a game. It really is just a game. His job is to build young men. And you do that with your players and other players. It turns out that Coach Snyder does this every week. People just don't know about it. Every week he's writing other coaches. He's writing other players, encouraging them complimenting them, inspiring them. Because he has perspective. It isn't just about winning. It's about doing his job of building young men, doing the right thing. You and I know the right thing. When we walk close with Christ and we stay in Him, you have perspective. How do you treat the stranger? And so third, maybe we need to ask ourselves, have I shown kindness to a stranger today? 
You know, as I said to you earlier, I've been surprised to find sometimes a day can go by and I haven't done that. What if we as a family of faith made a commitment for the next week? Every day I will show kindness to a stranger. I'm telling you, that's how you and I change the world. When you and I are showing that kindness, when we are blessing life, there's incredible power in that. This past week, I got an email from one of our members, Amy Hanneman. Amy was telling me, she said, Bob, for this sermon series, uh, you need to go look up a young lady named Madison Steiner. Madison Steiner is um, in her 20s, and she is an amazing young lady. started an organization called Peaches Neat Feet. Her nickname is Peaches. And it turned out that Amy and her husband, Ben, first got to know... um, um, all about Madison about three years ago. Their son Bennett had to go into Children's Hospital and they discovered he had a very serious illness. Bennett would mainly be in the hospital, in and out, in and out, for the next three years before little Bennett passed away just a couple of months ago. When they first got in the hospital and he was five months old, they were invited to come to a, a peaches party. You see, this organization that Madison had created goes to different hospitals around the country and tries to create these parties that bring parents together of children who have these serious illness, cancer, serious disabilities, so these parents can visit, get to know each other. Because the best support is by someone who's been there, someone who understands it the way you understand it. And so they brought this group together and they said, we made friends, we found support, and we would want to be there for other people. She said it it was an important part of their life and in the journey they were beginning to walk and with Bennett. When Bennett was three years old, he was given a special pair of shoes. You see, that's what they have done is create this organization that tries to take shoes and they paint on them all kinds of things that reflect a child's personality, the things they love, the things they do. And then they'll give these tennis shoes to these children in the hospital. And it always makes them excited. It makes them feel like they got magic shoes. It's something very meaningful for parents then and when their children are gone. And so it was on his third birthday, he received a pair of these shoes from Peach's Neat Feet. She likes to say, from my heart to your souls. It all started because Madison was growing up in a family of nine. It was a blended family. She lived in Tennessee. She made straight A's. She was a good kid. But she said, by the time I was a teenager, I knew that I knew everything you needed to know. But she said, I was actually a little naive. When she started to date, she became a victim of date rape. And when that happened, it threw her world into a tailspin. She went from being a 4.0 student to dropping out of high school. She began to struggle with so many labels in her own mind, feeling a victim, not knowing what to do. It became a very difficult, dark place. She was blessed to have a family that loved her very much and that continued to encourage her. 
It was her mother who told her, when your life starts to unravel, then you've got to weave it back together in a new way. In the end, she got her high school degree. She went to college to major in art. She loved art. She had a friend who wound up being in the hospital with a child. And seeing this child in the hospital, she decided she was going to make her tennis shoes a canvas. And that's where she painted her first pair of tennis shoes for this child, reflecting his likes and the things that he had needed, and took those up to the hospital. And when she saw how this child loved those shoes and what it meant to the parents, she said, I knew I'd found my calling. I knew I'd found my calling. And so she set to work at trying to create this organization that would paint these shoes for all these children who were strangers. I want to read you what she had to say. My dream was always to change the world. So with this, I'm not changing the whole world, but I am changing one kid's world with every pair of shoes I send out. I see how the compassion of a stranger can bless a person's life. She now has 35 volunteer artists who help to paint shoes. They send out more than 50 a month to all these different children. What Madison is doing is incredible. She has built a phenomenal organization that is blessing so many people's lives. And it's the very thing that helped to draw her out of the darkness to find meaning and purpose and joy in her life as she began to bless the stranger. That's what Madison discovered. It's what Amy and Ben discovered. They're now creating their own foundation in little Bennett's memory. Love Like Crazy is the name of it. They want to use the foundation to help other parents who are going through what they went through with their child. It's why Amy volunteers for the 10th floor. It's a group of women who work on the 10th floor at the hospital where so many people are going through this experience. Because what they have discovered, what Madison knew, what you and I know, when you reach out to bless the stranger, you do change the world, but you also do something for your own heart and soul. Madison said, We all have a purpose in the world. We all have the power to make an impact. I try to impact at least one person's life each day. You will never know the power of kindness till you share it with others. So celebrate the people around you. Be the person who blesses someone else's life. You can be the person who blesses someone else's life. Every day, you and I can do something kind for the stranger. What's the right thing to do? Do you treat the stranger the way you treat a friend? When we do, we'll discover it's fun to be nice. It's in the name of the Father, 
and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let each of us slip our own silent prayer.